Welcome to Under the Blanket with your host, Baba Here Love. And we are under the blanket of my guru in his heart, in his radium, where we see it is not separate. It is all one. And I have with me a guest host, uh, Drew, the Divine Mother, Jaima. So we're going to talk about spiritual principles, applying them to living life. You know, like, it's great to have all these spiritual principles, but what about washing the dishes and paying the bills and remembering your zip code? So, Drew, <laughs> tell us what are spiritual principles and how do we apply them to life? Hi there. Uh, I'd love to. I wrote a short list, uh, list off the top of my head of spiritual principles. Uh, some of them are hope, faith, commitment, humility, love, trust, and loyalty. You can basically look at these as virtues. And the opposite of these virtues would be character defects. Mm -hmm. Beautiful, beautiful. So those are some principles to work with. Uh, how about we start with the one that popped out to me was trust. And before you talk about trust, I'll say something. Trust for me is the doorway to faith. Like you could start by finding a teaching or a teacher you're interested in and you feel the spark of trust. You like you listen to what they say and something inside it says right on, you know, right on about that. And then you start to trust and then you do the practices and then you could develop the faith, the living faith and the presence. So trust is an important tool, I think. And uh, you have to go with your heart. I mean, if you find what you go to one guru or one teacher and you don't feel that spark of trust, I'd say go with the one you feel the spark of trust. I've heard people say that, oh, that if you should go with the teachers that don't you feel like avert aversion from because they'll teach you the most. So, Drew, if you could talk about mm -hmm. trust and how we apply that to life. Um, I would definitely agree with you and say that uh, trust and faith, they pretty much go hand in hand. They're very connected, like you said. And I love how you went into finding a guru and everything because people have so many questions about that. And yeah, for me, for myself personally, I can feel people's vibrations. So uh, it's a lot easier for me to know, you know, a true master or a true saint compared to some other people. Have you had that experience also? Yes. Uh, for example, I feel like a true saint is Neem Kuril Baba Maraji. But I, I feel like, say, Osho, even though I love Osho's teachings, I don't feel he's quite a true master or um, like a fully realized being. I think he definitely is a high kind of being and that sort of thing. And I'm also, you know, some like I remember this one guru uh, uh, who was a yoga guy, a half a yoga guy. Um, can't remember his name right now, but he's big in L.A. And yeah, he got a lot of controversies around him. But even before those controversies of sexual assaults and all that, I got this weird vibe about him. And I've, you know, I, and then the people that are in that devoted to that guru will be offended if you say that. But I feel you have to go with the vibe. And I don't pretend to know this. I just feel it and I go with that, you know. And maybe I could make, I could definitely make mistakes when it comes and miss a guru when it actually is a guru. So it's, it's been mm -hmm. tricky, but I feel like, yeah, I could spot the, the, 
the ones that I'm drawn to, at least, that I feel are authentic, especially Neem Kro Baba, Miraji, Ama, um, that sort of thing. So, yeah. Uh, so maybe you give us an example, like, of a guru, a true master, you'd say, an example of someone that's more a teacher, even though they may say they're a true master. Um, sorry, I wanted to touch on one of the things you said, and then, yeah, it's okay. Um, I think, like I said, that people should listen to their inner body very closely to know these things. Um, that really is the best way that I know to do it. And also, you can tell everything by what people say, and I know the saint you're talking about, and I almost made a post about the whole ordeal because it really upset me. I was going to go to his ashram. Um, so, you know, these things do happen, uh, and it's, it's, it's a bummer, you know, because people trust these people, but I can almost guarantee you that something inside, like you said, something inside of those people who went there, there had to have been a moment when their gut instinct knew. That's how I feel about it. Maybe they ignored it, you know. Well, I think, uh, yeah, I, they probably had that experience, but they put it aside because oftentimes the searching for the guru will project guru onto someone that more has to do with our inclinations and desire systems. So, you know, we'll be drawn to a particular guru because of the way they look or their personality rather than seeing the level of consciousness and going with the vibration. And, you know, we might just get caught up in the cult of personality around that guru, like, there are all these people that you know are into the guru. So you're like, hey, I'll, you know, I'll be involved in that, you know? It's funny because I come from my parents who are involved with this teacher. I, call, I consider him a teacher, uh, Prem Rawa. He never, he doesn't have too many controversies or anything. But they declared him Lord of the Universe, the Sat Guru, the highest avatar of the age. And it's mm-hmm. funny because my parents were involved with that. But they thought, you know, he was just a mirror to help me see myself. And they didn't really get caught up in that. And that was true of these premies following Prem Rawa. They thought like half the premies would just be meditating, humble. Oh, yeah, he's the guru for me, but I don't know what level is that and all that. And other ones would be like, he's the Lord of the universe. And if someone would said about another guru, they'd have the guru Olympic. <laughs> Spirituality <laughs> is not a competition, you know? Yeah, definitely not. Um, I also wanted to share about... Um... Another thing that a teacher taught me, um, a mentor, uh, these principles are actually from a 12-step program. The basis of my spiritual foundation is the 12 steps because I was in a 12-step program for 10 years. Um, But what she taught me was that if anyone gets confused about, you know, spiritual principles and character defects, a good guideline is actually the seven deadly sins. Because the opposite of the deadly sins are spiritual principles. So I thought that was a really cool teaching. And it's just so simple. You can literally guide your life. You can you can say, am I acting in a character defect right now? Or am I acting in a virtue? And let me choose to act on a virtue instead of these old character defects, which, you know, always rear their ugly heads over and over. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's beautiful. Like um, the seven deadly sins uh, is one of the useful ones. Another one, if for a person with a, a maybe strong intellect, go to like in Buddhism, they have the, the fetters and the aversions and all these ones. They have like hundreds of 
character defects. They're so specific about the ways the ego can trick uh, consciousness, and they go into all these. So someone might be inclined to go to that map and be like, hey, I, I have that intellectual mind. I like analyzing all these different subtle defects and, and all these different great virtues. They have all these amazing virtues in that system as well. And then someone else might be drawn to the seven deadly sins. Oh, it's simple. Seven of them. I could even memorize them, you know? So right. it's like, but how right. am I going to memorize 150 fetters, you know? So well, that's really, really cool. Is like the, yeah. I like that. That's pretty cool. Same concept, huh? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of amazing maps from the East and also in the West as well. But I'd say the East has uh, more in-depth uh, studies of inner studies. And the West was more bhakti with the mysticism, like Christian and Sufi, more like bhakti yoga, I'd say. Yeah, so, but that, you know, that a lot of people go through the devotional route, and that's important to me, you know. And let's talk about another one of those principles, how about? I'm trying sure. to think, how about love? How about love? Tell us about love. Okay. Um, <clears throat> well, love is, you know, the unifying principle. Um, it's the principle, you know what I mean? Uh, it just expresses unity in every way. And, um, if we're full of love, you know, we could never be acting on a character defect. And, um, I guess I would say love is to love someone else as yourself, you know, basically. Oh yeah, I agree. Uh, uh, like, uh, my teacher Ram Dass says, I am loving awareness. And there's a yeah. place that we are love and we love everything because it's ourself. You know, we love ourself. We are ourself. We are that love. And it's interesting. I heard some people say love is a verb, you know, but I thought about that and I was like, well, it's love is more like a being. Love is like an essence who you are and good actions, of course, flow from the essence. But if, if you get too caught up in being the doer, I'm the doer, I'm a do. Even if it's good, you're doing all these good things you will realize how it's subtly reinforcing your own ego and other egos in a sense of righteous superiority. Like, okay, you're helping at the homeless place. That's great. I'm not knocking it. But can you do it from love or can you do it because you're accentuating your ego? And then even though you're feeding these homeless people, the vibration that's being transmitted is separation. You know, and that's a hard one for a lot of people that are into the do-gooding thing to realize that you could even be doing good and be reinforcing suffering. You know, like a lot of people get caught up in the helper, you know, in the helper. And then the helpee, the victim, has to be, oh, I'm a victim. And it creates that separation instead of that unity you were talking about with love. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's pick another principle. I feel like okay, we should I, I want to talk about commitment, can we? Because I feel like this is such a big one that people ask me about all the time. Yeah, go for it. Commitment. Tell us. Um, the biggest thing I find people ask me is like, well, how can I commit to my spiritual practice, you know? And um, I just tell them, like, commit, <laughs> you know what I mean? And for me, commitment has been the biggest spiritual principle to, like, rule my life and to get me through life. Um, because if we can't commit to our responsibilities or our spiritual practice or to anything else, um, we're not going to get very far. So commitment is a huge one. And so many people, you know, they just won't commit to that spiritual practice. And until you can really, um, really 
practice commitment uh, wherever you need it in your life, especially with your spiritual practice. Um, you're not going to get very far. They always said in the program, too, that you're either a growing or you're going backwards spiritually. And I believe that. Oh, yeah. I'd say for my past, personally, commitment was a big thing. I think some people, maybe they have to start out where they do it a little bit at a time. But for me personally, I found commitment to be essential. Uh, I remember mm -hmm. when I first had my first spiritual experience, except for young childhood, at 17 when I did uh, acid and a tab and I awakened to oneness and I felt no separation and everything was breathing, glowing and one and love and all that beautiful stuff. And then I came down from it. I had a faith that there was definitely, I knew inside there was a God, you know, there was a oneness, there was a love, but I put it aside. I didn't commit to practicing. I was like, okay, well, that's great. Now I'm going to go live my life. Now I'm going to, you know, I, at the time I was in high school. Now I'm going to focus on my studies, focus on becoming a filmmaker. And I went off to film school. Then I ended up reading Be Here Now. And I had the same experience. Like I said on other shows about this experience and Be Here Now uh, without any chemical assistance, I achieved that same state and that it was read to me. And people that listen to this podcast know the story. But the point is, I committed at that point it was like uh, one line and be here now everything is part of waking up so it was like the commitment to me felt naturally it didn't felt forced it felt like i had no choice i was like a moth into the flame everything became part of waking up god became my obsession practice became my obsession when i tried to forget and i tried to run away from spirituality it would pull me back in in, almost instantaneously with some random coincidence uh, not a you know synchronicity all kinds of cool stuff like that so commitment <laughs> to me felt totally natural although other people they might have to make uh, an extreme effort you know it's like that's a big issue i'd like to discuss effort versus non-effort some people say like ramakrishna desire god like a drowning man desires air and other people say give up all effort give up all self-improvement just be here now and find your practice when you feel drawn to it. So if you don't right. feel drawn to your practice, go out, do whatever, go lust, go greed, go do whatever until you're really so fed up with that crap and the bullshit that you are drawn into your practice. So I you would say before you uh, respond that it yeah. depends on the person. Some people have to make extreme effort. Other people have to more like be drawn into it by circumstance. Because they have to, you know, suffer more. They just have to. So I like to hear your uh, take on effort and your commitment. Yeah, I, that's, this is exactly the reason why I always recommend people just dive into whatever spiritual practice that they're drawn to. That's if I'm if I'm ever in a teaching position with someone or they're asking me for this advice, I'm just like, do what you're drawn to. Do what you're going to enjoy. You know what I mean? If it's chanting, if it's Whatever it is, do that. Start there. Because the more you're into it, the more you're enjoying it, the more, you know, it's going to change you for the better. Yeah. yeah. And it, but it's funny because I had two, two spiritual friends of mine. They always kind of insist. They send me these teachers that I'm not drawn to. And I feel like <laughs> a, a little bit of a, I don't want to, I have no problem with them. I don't know where they're at. I don't really read their vibes. I just dismiss them. And uh, maybe they're the greatest teacher in the world, but they're like, Eric, you got it. That's when you got to listen to them. Listen to this. Listen to this. My one friend, Doug, my <laughs> other friend, Braju Das, they're just like, 
you got to listen to this teacher now, you know, you'll get there, you'll be enlightened. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't work that way. We're all drawn to certain teachers because they have what we need. So um, I've had people do that to me, too. They try to like, they're like, oh, I love the saint. Do you love him? And I'm like, eh, like, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) And then, you know, that teacher is just not for me. That's all it is. I wanted to say also, I did a lot of acid as a teenager also. And my experience was that I would experience oneness and, you know, total peace because of that experience. But then afterwards, I would always go, I knew the truth of the universe, but I forget now. (laughs) (laughs) And I would do it over. Yeah, I've heard people have that, yeah. It's so funny. Um, Yeah, I feel like I'd go way up and come down, but... For me, it was a real awakening thing. It really it planted the seed. It was just I found when I read Be Here Now that it was all permanent acid trip. It was like, you know, and psychedelics are useful, say, uh, since that time, like as a boost on the path every now and then take one and, you know, get a little reminder of that. But I found meditation and just being here now is much more effective than it became like a very like whatever about like if it comes it comes it goes it goes you know not you know it doesn't yeah a lot of people have that experience not it's not an addictive thing and yeah it could be used properly but some people could get addicted not to the thing but addicted to needing that to get spiritual you know and then they don't commit to the practice of a daily practice you know Mm -hmm. that reminds me too a lot of people ask you know do i need to go clean and quit whatever addictions I have, if I'm going to start pure, uh, spiritual practice and me, myself, I was drinking heavily every single day, like at least three, four drinks, heavy, like bourbon gin. And, um, I just dove into spiritual practice. Obviously you don't want to be intoxicated when you're doing your spiritual practice, but if you're addicted to something and you have to do that every night, my suggestion is just do your spiritual practice sober. Eventually, you'll stop wanting to do that thing as you grow spiritually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ram Das also has that, you know, I feel like says the same exact thing. Yeah. I feel that's usually the better route, but some people they hit, have to hit a bottom and they have to go totally cold Turkey. So it really depends on the person I think, but yeah, I'd say, you know, with that, you work with the energy, you know, uh, of that, you know, and you don't necessarily have to hit yeah. a bottom or something. Yeah, so uh, let's talk about another principle. You got one that's screaming out of the butterfly that's well, liberating faith, in your heart. I think we should talk about faith some more because uh, what is its opposite character defect? Can you guess it? Doubt. Fear. Fear, okay. This, this is a good topic right now for what's going on in the world with the coronavirus and everything because a lot of people are in fear, right? Yeah, I just have to agree that a lot of people are struggling with that. Yep. You know what fascinates me, though, is every time I talk to anyone who's on the spiritual journey, we don't even talk about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I've noticed that the corona happening. thing for me has been great. I've been deepening my practice. I've been meditating more. I've been here now more. My downs are really manageable. I just feel so great since it's happened. It's been so helpful to me personally. Yeah, and I feel that there's a mass awakening for those whose consciousness has already been expanding. Like, it, the, the consciousness is expanding exponentially. 
But then, like, the contracted consciousness of people who are in fear and don't have any spiritual tools to lean on, you know, their consciousness is contracting more. And I feel like this huge um, polarity between the two. It's really fascinating. Yeah, that's the feeling I get, too. Yep. And I feel that's a good thing on both areas. I know that some are contracting, some are expanding. But even the contracting... It's it's, maybe it's revealing uh, a fear that's been so buried and they've been so suppressing it, pretending, oh, yeah, whatever. And this is bringing that up. So even though they're contracting more in response to that, eventually they'll maybe just have enough of it and just start to seek something else. Yep. Definitely. All right. So faith. uh, We talked about faith. Um, What's another one? Uh, I'm trying to think of some other ones you said. Um. I want to try a longer list, but I just had written them off the top of my head. Humility is a really good one. Let's talk about humility. Yeah, humility. That's a great one. All right. And uh, I guess pride would probably be the opposite of humility, right? Oh, the opposite of humility, you said? I think it would probably be pride. Do you agree? Pride. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. I don't so, know exactly, but in, just, just from the, what you said, I'm like, all right, sounds good. In the program... Uh, they really talk about what humility is because a lot of people think that it's um, the same as, what am I trying to say here? So, some people think it's lowering yourself, but actually humility is knowing the truth of yourself and the world clearly. It's knowing the truth, you yeah. know, and not thinking you're better than anyone or thinking you're worse than anyone. But knowing that you're one, basically. So. Oh, yeah. Humility, like, for me, was a, a big time that I learned that lesson. I mean, I'm always learning it still. But, yeah. Um, when I was uh, early in my spiritual path in college, and I had read Be Here Now. I was doing the practice. I was doing psychedelics. I was involved with gurus. I was reading all kinds of spiritual books and whatever. And, uh I had a sort of manic psychotic break with a spiritual kundalini. I had a kundalini awakening and shakti and a tremendous bliss and ecstasy and lots of visions and astral stuff, seeing all kinds of very clear. And no, I was not doing any psychedelics at the time that this was happening. But what it is, is Ram Dass talks about it, is I went through the doorway too fast with my ego on. And I had a messianic complex and... Uh, that sort of thing. So it was really enjoyable for me. And life seemed like a, just a dream. And it was all a cosmic joke and all that. But my ego was on. And I thought, yeah, well, I'm the one to bring it to everybody. In the sense that I'm Christ. but And you're Christ. We're all Christ. We're all God. But, you know, me personally, I'm going to teach everybody that. Yeah, me. What about that guy? No. What about that teacher? No, I'm the highest one. You know? <laughs> it was like that. Yeah. Sort of and it was really fun. It was great. But eventually I had to come to terms with humility. In fact, what I was doing, like you said, the better and worse, I was thinking I was better than everybody. It was what it came down to. And eventually when I like came down from that and uh, I realized the humility lesson and started to do my practices again in the right way, because I was just, I don't know, I meditated an hour in the morning, hour at night. I don't know. It was just, it was too much for me, I guess. I mean, I could do that much meditation now if I set out to do it. But, you know, it's just for some reason, it just had a Kundalini opening that I wasn't quite ready for. In a certain way, but looking back on it, I have a book now because of it. Because of it, like this really funny book is coming out when they get it done. This whole 
reviewing it with the audio or something. But in less than a month or so, this book about my uh, mental illness slash spiritual awakening time in the mental hospital and all led up to it all passed it in a very funny way will be out on audible amazon and itunes and i think uh people out there will really appreciate it so stay tuned listeners for that sort of thing so yeah awesome looking forward to it <laughs> great great uh so we have time for maybe one quick more principle before we end the show so let's see what's another one what about you did trust, faith, you did love. About, um, well, let's uh, let's uh, come up with one. What's the op- What's the seven deadly sins? We could come up with one. All right. How about lust? The opposite of lust. So I was say. about to say that too. Um, what is the opposite of lust? Shit. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, we stumped the ma. The ma has um, been stumped. It's been a long time since I actually worked the steps. I need to work them again. <laughs> um, well the opposite of lust would be like self-control or um purity discipline, maybe. maybe discipline yeah discipline perhaps could be yeah i found uh like to me what lust is maybe we should define lust real quick lust for me is sexual energy where you take uh the person or i guess the tree if you're into that as an object subject object division so it doesn't mm-hmm. matter how much good emotions are involved or it's consensual. It's lust when that person is an object for your own gratification and the sexual act isn't like brought up to the higher centers. Then I feel there's lust and uh, sort of thing. What's your take on that? I agree. And lust is really interesting because you know what? So many men message me all the time. Like I can't control my lust. It's out of control. And um so what's your experience with that? I always just tell them, like, try semen retention and, you know, controlling your energies. But as a woman, I don't know much about it. <laughs> All right. Well, my take on it is work with the energies. If you find yourself, you know, I feel Tantra. Tantra has been it for me, like doing the techniques. And you could if you don't have a partner, I found I had lots of success with my uh, but she's not around all the time. So I've had a lot of tantric experiences and uh that were very powerful like one time i went out of my body with her went to the deva plains and it was oh, like awesome. we spent a thousand years there and then and then we went back in our body it was like whoa was that just a dream no that was real and we were like we our bodies were collapsed on the floor and we just talked about it the rest of the night because it felt like i just spent a thousand years somewhere and now i'm back and it was like the deva wow. plains are hard to describe you know so but i just wanted to add before we go uh and you can do it by yourself. Like I suggest, like a, if the guy's going to do whatever, you know, breathe with it, be present with it, work that energy. And whether you're semen retained or you don't just work with that energy, do a meditation. What I find is if I masturbate, I do ohm at the base of the spine and then ah, the top of my head. And it just mm-hmm. channels that energy up and down, up and down, huh? Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, um, I just want to reiterate that people can literally guide their lives by these spiritual principles. Like, no joke. At any moment, if you ever feel lost, you can just do a self-check-in. Hey, am I working a spiritual principle right now? Or are my character defects running amok? Very simple. Beautiful. So that we've reached the end of our show. And this has been Under the Blanket with your host, Bob Love and the uh, Awakened Ma Drew. 
Thank you for joining us, Drew. Thank you. Until next time. Until next time.